This episode is sponsored by the one membership by Template Monster. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the HTML All Things Podcast, episode number 76, Passive Income and Revenue Streams. I'm your host, Matt Lawrence, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Mike Coran. If you've been enjoying the podcast so far and you want to support us, there's a couple ways that you could do that. You can view us on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform that you're listening to this on. You can also check us out on Patreon. We only have a couple of tiers right now, but that $3 tier will give you a shout-out in the podcast, and we will share a link to your website in our show notes. And probably the most important one, just tell your friends or anyone else you know that's interested in web development that we're here and we're ready to be listened to. And if you or your friends are ready to go a step further than that, you can also check us out on our Discord server. Discord server is well over 300 members now. A bunch of people chatting away, and we're talking about some uh, logistics that we're going to deal with with bots and stuff like that. So it's really blowing up. Come check us out. Come hang out and talk about coding, hobbies, whatever you want to talk about in there, uh, according to the channels, of course. And we're off to our normal weekly pain point. So, Mike, please take it away. All right. So this week's weekly pain point is switching between setups. So currently uh, just doing like an experiment where I've hooked my MacBook up to my main monitor as a secondary setup. Oh, fuck yeah, secondary you did. screen. Uh, oh, he's switching, slowly creeping in there. Yeah, so uh, pull, whenever I'm... Uh, pull. Pull. <laughs> I mean, it, it's possible. So whenever whenever I'm working with my secondary setup uh, or my my Apple, I just switch my main screen. And then I have still my secondary screens, which is one vertical and one side, as my main computer setup. So I can still kind of do both. And what... What allows it to do that is because I have wireless keyboard and mouse that can switch between dongle and Bluetooth, both. So I can just click a button on each one and it'll switch right away to one setup and then click a button and it'll switch right away to the other setup. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic and it kind of, it works, but it's also really annoying because I keep forgetting like which setup I'm on. And sometimes I'll try to like move my mouse and it's not moving on the one setup, it's moving on the other and like, it does get kind of hectic and I'm trying to think of a better solution. Like it's probably better for me to just have like, you know, my MacBook hooked up to all my monitors at the same time. So when I'm only working on Mac, I'm working on Mac. And then when I go back to working on my PC, I work on my PC. It's frustrating that I have to even kind of do these things. I wish I could just go on one setup. Like Matt was mocking me about like, should I just switch to switch to Mac only for working with development? But it doesn't, I can't because I don't have a powerful enough MacBook to do like Android development, iOS development in, in an efficient way. So like whenever I have to, you know, compile an application, I have to wait probably twice or three times as long as on my desktop PC. So that's why I always switch to my desktop when I'm doing like heavy application development. Why don't you pick up a KVM? Although if you're gaming at all on that PC, I, would, I wouldn't suggest it. Yeah, that's what I was worried about. Like, every KVM experience I've had has always been janky. Always. I've never had it been... I've never had it been janky out of the box, unless it's janky, if that makes sense. So if you, like, buy a good one, test it right away, it's not like it gets janky over time. I find that it's janky right away, and usually they're cheap. So if you buy, like, a real good one, like an active one or whatever, and you, like, look at the reviews and such and kind of do your research... Then it wouldn't be as janky, and I would. Fi- I also find, and this is just personal experience, having only used one similar device, is actually HDMI is more janky because HDMI is carrying additional data, and so I've had weird experiences where I tried to like 
and I actually have it set up behind me, but or in front of me. But um, so I had this like I think you were with me when I had HDMI moving to my to my screen, my main monitor, and then I wanted there to be an HDMI like an additional signal going to my my TV. And just have it work. But the problem is, is every time another device turns on, so if, like, if I have the splitter running and my monitor tur- is fine and then my my TV turns on, they all flash because there's, like, additional data flying around and including if I change the volume and stuff. So, like, I think that if that contributes, which I think it does, I think that might contribute to a janky KVM experience. So I'm wondering if you got, like, a DVI one and then for your MacBook got, like, a DVI to HDMI cable, maybe it'd be a little bit more manageable. Maybe I I might look into it. I was I was thinking about a KVM anyway, so I might look into it. But I'd probably have to shell out like you know over a hundred dollars on a decent KVM because all the cheaper ones, the non-active ones, are like thirty bucks and forty bucks already. So I'm assuming the active ones are probably in that hundred dollar range or something like that. So we'll we'll see. I might just wait. Um, I might just wait, wait to change to Mac. Is what you're, what you're waiting yeah like for. I, like at some point in the in the future I will be switching like getting a better notebook anyway, like probably not anytime soon, but at some point. So that that's when I might kind of ponder this idea some more right now. This is kind of working at least. That's, 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 that's always great with your, uh, with your primary work environment. This is yeah, kind of working kind of at working. least. Yeah. <laughs> yep. But anyway, uh, coming off of the, uh, the main editor of uh, Mac rumors there, uh, I am, uh, I am in need this week. I am in need of, of more accessible and just more in volume smart home tech. So in, in the home currently, I only have an Echo Show 5, I believe it's called, because it was free with some couches, so like I'm not sure. But it's it's the $100 one that's like, it's a landscape display. So I got that. I have a Echo Dot behind me. I have a Google Nest, excuse me, Mini. I got a Google Nest Mini upstairs, a Google Nest Mini on the other, on the next floor, and we have two Google Nest hubs in, in a box right now that are waiting to be spun out. So, I need more, oh, and we, we just got some smart light, lights, and the, uh, one of the outlets is actually originally from 1945, like legitimately from 1945, or at least around that era. So... And it works like it when you turn it on, it flicks once. Like it's a little bit weird when you turn it on for the first time, but like now that it's controlled by the smart, it, it's totally fine. So we've created. I'm uh, that's it. Like I'm I'm fully into the smart home tech world. We're gonna get into that in our web news with uh, things like Bali and such. So it's pretty exciting, and uh, I'm in need of more tech. I want more. Google Constant, and Amazon more. have all of your information at all times. They're they're recording me right now. Yep. I got, okay, I know this weekly pain point is going to be really brief. If we want, and I've never seen this movie, but just based on what people have told me, if we want a her with Joaquin Phoenix, otherwise known as the Joker, if we want a her-like future, and I've never seen that movie again, but a robot or a voice that's like that, we need to give up our privacy. To an extent. To an extent. But... And excuse me, Samsung just recommitted themselves to privacy at CES. There, they had a big thing about that, mm-hmm. but I don't well, we trust. Could, yeah, anyone. we'll 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 discuss it more yeah. in our uh, in our web news. Yeah, I'm just scrolling down here. So, okay, I'm going to dive right into the show uh, before we get really into it here, um, because I could talk about smart home tech for days. So, uh, segment number one. Um, oh, segment number one is I'm getting a spam call. Uh, so that's good. 
But anyway, segment number one is uh, introduction. Uh, so I just want to really briefly go over this before I dive into the two segments. The other two segments are passive income as well as uh, different revenue streams. So as a brief, just like a preface to everything, uh, one of our big goals uh, for the new year, so for 2020 this year, is uh, our company, Digital Dynasty Designs Revenue, uh, needs to be uh, basically upgraded and it needs to be more efficient. Uh, so we need to take a closer look at it. We don't really like we, we we look at it, of course, like we do all our books and stuff like that. But it's just one of those things where we don't we, we just sort of like throw all the invoices in a pile and then we like make sure they're all organized. But we don't like analyze the information, if that makes sense. It's sort of like we set up a go- like this isn't how it works, but it's like we set up Google Analytics and then don't really do anything except for look at one number, if that makes sense. Uh, so we just need to basically become more efficient at this. Um Specifically, though, we're going to be focusing on stuff like passive income, different revenue streams, uh, monitoring our income and expenses, like I said, closer uh, to make them more efficient, determining whether we can cut some expenses or add some to make more revenue, whatever. Um, and so this actually does include the reason why I'm bringing this up. This actually does include HTML, all the things um, with things like our Patreon, of course, that's a monetized thing. Um, our website, which is coming soon, the new one, uh, as well as uh, these new stickers, which is a part of the Patreon and, and, and more coming in the future, of course, um, as well as some of the, some of the podcast stuff as well, of course. So stuff like that. Um, so that, that's kind of sort of our preface. That's sort of our, our backbone of this episode. So I'll be coming back to our company, uh, like uh, for examples throughout, but this is a general episode just to let everybody know. This is just generally talking about passive income and different revenue streams. So to kick it right off again, uh, passive income, second segment here, uh, for those of you that don't know, passive income is income that you don't require or that doesn't require you to actively do something to make money. So for example, if you make a website and then you put ads on it and you just leave the website there, any income you make off of it is passive income. You're not doing anything actively. You're just making passive income. And passive income is interesting to businesses because it's something that they can invest in. So you make that initial investment in making that site and they can just have it sit there and you just sit there. And you just reap the rewards uh, from you sitting there. And oftentimes, uh, you can actually go off and go off on another venture, maybe whether it be another passive income or whatever the heck you want to do. And in terms of like sort of technical tax jargon, oftentimes passive income can actually be considered differently than quote unquote regular income uh, by tax agencies, uh, wherever you live. So check with a tax professional to see if you can benefit from any of those differences, whether there's tax breaks in your area, tax credits, however your tax area works, just sometimes it's considered, uh, or oftentimes it's considered different. So just like check that out. Um, now due to real world restrictions, oftentimes just leaving something sitting there and doing absolutely nothing really isn't a possibility. It kind of sounds too good to be true. So a lot of the things that people refer to as passive income do require some sort of maintenance on a varying schedule. So, for example, uh, running a blog where you write a blog post daily doesn't really sound like passive income, of course, because, you know, you're writing for this blog. However, the backlog of content is constantly generating clicks, and that's passive because you're not going back and editing those articles all the time. And if you didn't write for a few days because you went on vacation or something, you'd be gaining income from your post. Your website would still be bringing in money. It's not like your website turns off because you didn't write a post that day. It just keeps going. So that's that's sort of an example of how passive income is passive, but it has like an active component in most real world situations. So 
these sorts of initiatives that are a major for major force uh, for digital agency design as well as hat uh, in 2020 is we have a couple of different methods. So I'll just kind of bring these up and you can apply these to your company too, maybe. Uh, so something like hosting. So if, in our particular case, we've rented a new server to start hosting more websites because uh, we already host some, whether it be for clients that we've made websites for, uh, whether it be for our own websites so we can save a little bit on the hosting fee there for ourselves, or for people that need hosting. Just generally people, they got somebody else to build their website, they can come to us for hosting now, and that's kind of it. Uh, maintenance agreements as well. So this is really big. This is a big recurring revenue source for uh, web developers out there. And what they basically are, they can be called different things, maintenance contracts, whatever. There's no like official sort of name for it, but we call them maintenance agreements. And what they are is uh, we notice that a lot of our clientele actually require a fair bit of maintenance or content adjustments or just straight up changes on an ongoing basis because they like their experience to evolve over time. So we've actually started getting people more and more people signed up for maintenance agreements where they pay us per month to do a fixed amount of work, uh, typically at a discounted uh, hourly or, you know, per rate, like per job basis type of thing. So whether we decide to, like, what we, one of the things we'll do is we will, if uh, someone's paying $100 a month, but they ask for $200 of work, if there's if that thing that they ask for isn't urgent, we'll spread it out over two months. And then we also, because they're like on this subscription plan and it's up to our discretion, we'll be sort of like a little lenient for some, some stuff. Like if they request that hundred dollar a month thing, so we do it over two months, we're not going to like refuse their call. If they ask us for help with like, Hey, I don't like this header typography anymore. We'll just kind of like redo the header typography because it's quick. So we'll at, it's at our discretion, of course, but it's one of those things that allow us to generate a recurring revenue. And so that's kind of interesting for, uh, for anyone out there that, like especially new web developers that oftentimes will build static websites for customers up front. A lot of the times because it's a static website and there's no editor there, no WordPress, no nothing, uh, your client eventually will have a sale or they'll want to uh, change their price or something like that. And so you need to do that. And so a maintenance agreement, if they're changing things frequently, is really lucrative because you're gaining not only that lump sum where you were paid to make the website initially, but you're also gaining any any of that passive residual income from them because they need, you know, help once a month or help every few weeks or whatever it is. So that that's sort of nice. It also provides customers, and this is sort of a selling feature that you could sell to them. It also provides customers with peace of mind. So we have a couple of customers uh, that will want to call us, but they're like, you know, we're a little bit worried about, you know, constantly, constantly calling us or taking up a lot of time and then maybe us charging for the, for the calls or call, like charging for the amount of emails they send or charging for the amount of stuff that they like to bounce ideas off of us kind of thing. Um, and with that, like the maintenance agreement kind of covers that. Like, I don't mind talking to you extra on the phone, even if I'm, literally doing something else on my computer while I'm talking to you, it's still like time there. And then they kind of feel better about, you know, but uh, like, well, they say they're bugging us, but to us, it's just sort of like a phone call. So that's, that's sort of like a little bit of peace of mind that you could possibly sell to a customer if they're worried about quote unquote bugging you a lot. Uh, another thing uh, is also just straight up websites. So the new hat website, um, the HTML, all the things website is coming soon. Uh, and that will feature an entirely new content plan that should keep readers engaged and coming back for content daily. As far as we have it planned at the moment, um, we all, th this website of course will also be ad supported uh, and it will also or just as association with with ads, it'll have, it'll make the website into a revenue stream. So that's really cool. Um, we also have uh, another website project actually 
that we plan to launch in 2020 as well, but uh, we want to discuss that at a later date while we get some details flushed out. But that'll be also a revenue stream as well. So that, that that's basically that's basically what we're doing with that. Um, so I don't know if Mike has any comments on any of that any of that stuff before I jump into the rest of this segment. Yeah. So with maintenance agreements, I just wanted to kind of touch on that. Um, it's it is a form of passive income, but it usually balances out to be like a little bit active. Just like Matt was saying, there really isn't such a thing as true passive income. Or at least it's very hard to get to that state where you're actually doing uh, either nothing or minimal work. Where with maintenance, what will happen is yes, it, it's a it's a predictable monthly income, and it is passive in a sense that we don't have to do anything new for it. We usually are doing something. Maintenance refers to like you know adjustments and stuff like that. So it's not you know taking up our mind. It's not taking. We're not creating new ideas. So it is something that we can do passively as well in the background. Um, but it is obviously a form of, uh, a form of active slash passive, like Matt was saying. The other thing is with passive income initiatives, it's always a big time investment at the beginning, no matter what kind of thing. So even with like a hosting, uh, the hosting that Matt was saying, Matt has had to invest a lot of time researching hosts, trying to find the best one, testing a bunch of hosts to make sure that they're actually good for our clients, making sure that they're price competitive. Like that took a lot of time and a lot of effort. And even after that, like once he actually has picked a host, uh, which I think he did already, he then has to go in and, you know, help with migration. So that's not really passive. But again, it's one of those things where if you put in the work at the beginning and it is worthwhile, then maybe it will become a pass, a more passive income in the future. And Again, in my eyes, there's a lot of definitions of passive, and one of those definitions isn't necessarily just doing nothing. It's more the fact that you can do this kind of stuff in the background of your daily tasks. So if it's something like hosting, Matt will then go in and set up a, a hosting plan, a hosting account for someone, and that's not really his main task of the day. It's just a background task that he can do at any time. Uh, and it's not reliant. It's not like a emergency thing that he has to do, which is more of an active task. It is more of a passive where he chooses when to do it throughout the day. It's something that he's done many, many times and he's efficient at and good at and stuff like that. So it's, those are the things that make something passive. Not so much the fact that you're just hands off and doing nothing. It's the, the, the actual task is more passive for you specifically. Yeah. That, that's a really good way to put it. Is the the fact that the fact that it's like the schedule? I think the scheduling part of it, like, like what you're kind of getting at, makes a lot of sense. Where like a client might call us on Monday because they're on a maintenance contract to get some help with something this week, but I might not do it till Thursday. And so you know the call was Monday. I got Tuesday and Wednesday, and then the rest of Monday, of course, because the call wasn't all day. To like technically speaking, I was making let's say an average. Let's say it was thirty dollar maintenance contract. I'm making an average of like a dollar a day for that month. And I wasn't doing anything for those two or three days. That that sort of stuff, of course. Like it, it's almost impossible, really, to 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 really make that passive. Like uh, realistically speaking, we could make this hat website publish like ten thousand articles or something crazy. But then there's no hype for each article, and then they're just going to sit there. And yes, they might make re- residual, but there's no like push into something. Like if something brand new comes out, like holy crap, there's something replacing CSS. Like this is crazy, and we didn't publish anything then we're missing out on those clicks and so like that's and then all the articles we have are starting to get stagnant because like they're about css let's say so that's that's sort of the the passive income angle if you will is that there needs to be that active component certainly 
And with even with Hat, uh, once we have the site kind of created, so that's the active part, right? Creating the site from the very beginning. You're you're designing it. We're having a backend, our backend guy doing a lot of the infrastructure in the backend. Then we're going to be doing like the content. I think it's going to still take a while for it to become quote unquote passive because even when it's fully created and we're putting content in there, that first little bit of time where we're investing all the time into finding what content works best, what content people are interested in, how to put the content in efficiently. Like we are generating, that is creating, that isn't, I would say, passive at the beginning. But once we start getting good at it and we start getting into a flow, that's when I think it becomes more of a passive rather than an active, where it's, again, not taking up the larger portion of our days. It's not taking up a larger portion of our minds. Like we're not constantly thinking about it. It's one of those things where we just kind of either wake up and do a little bit of it and then go back to our regular work or, you know, in between, you know, lunch and every something else, we kind of updated it slightly. But I think it will take some time to get to that point regardless. And that's, again, that's that initial input into your passive projects to actually create a passive income. Absolutely. And, and, it, and I think the number one difference too if we were to like really break it down is for the most part, people are doing things per job or per hour, probably per hour is the better example there. If you are making money, even when you walk away from your desk, if you, if you take a two day vacation and you're still technically making residual income, then technically a part of whatever you're doing is passive. Whereas if you're, if you have to clock in, sit at your desk for eight hours and clock out, if at any point you clocked out in the middle, like at four hours, you ain't being paid for eight, you're being paid for four. That's active income. That's sort of, well, that is just straight up active income that requires you to be there doing doing something actively. So, uh, okay, so I'll kind of move on here. So, uh, the reason why we decided on passive income as one of our major focuses in 2020 is because we want to we want to generate a sustainable salary that isn't relying on one on just one thing. So, we want some diversification in there. Uh, should we have some slow like a slow few months finding new customers to make websites, or let's say a, a customer shuts down or a social channel, so like a you know, Instagram or Facebook or whatever, uh, changes a policy or an algorithm that affects us adversely. So we either have to jump ship because it is their platform. We either have to jump ship or find a new platform or figure out the new algorithm, like whatever it is, that's still like a slow time in that, in the, in respect to that. So stuff like that is, are good examples that, that could easily, <clears throat> excuse me, affect us or others in similar fields. Uh, another thing is that uh, passive income also gives us the freedom to explore new things without having to put in a full eight plus hour workday. Uh, making new clients or making uh, new websites for clients so we can be in charge of our own schedule and tasks and by simply just we can do that just by simply changing what we're working on when we need to so if we're really you know really killing it in the podcast game we're getting like a whole bunch of sponsors or something uh then maybe in that particular month where we're getting all those all those sponsors we'd be less inclined to take traditional client business for example so maybe we would do less advertising or we would push projects back or something like that because we get to choose kind of what we do and what stream we're working on. Um, and before uh, I move on to the next segment here, unless Mike has any comment, I'm going to move on to uh, the segment number two here, which is different revenue streams. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, just, just to comment quickly on that, uh, the passive, like if the podcast ever takes off, we'll focus on other things. I think, that's just the natural ebb and flow of this kind of industry where you have to adapt to whatever's working best, but always keep um, 
keep the other options open as much as possible. Because like you said, if someone changes a algorithm, if someone changes their policy for ad, like advertising, if someone changes something, then we'll have to adapt to that. Otherwise, we're kind of, you know, sitting in generating nothing. So it's just, it's just a natural thing of this kind of business. And I like, that's something that I really like in this business is that we are able to uh, do different things go from one thing to the other we're not bored of one like we're not just doing one thing over and over again like a factory worker not that there's like obviously that there is a need for that and stuff like that but it's just not something that i would i would particularly enjoy um so i'm i i like going into new avenues and new income streams i like testing stuff out to see if it works and so far we've been very flexible in that now i think this year will be a year where we're actually going to solidify some of the revenue streams um, and we're going to, like Matt was saying before, uh, we are going to be do- looking more at our analytics, looking more at our income statements, uh, and looking at to see where we should put our time to, to get back the most income, if it, like as efficiently as possible. Cause that's something that we haven't, like we've done a little bit. Obviously, we've been sort of maintaining what we need to do, but we haven't really sat down with Matt on a, even a quarterly basis and looked at, okay, this is working. This isn't working. Uh, let's give this a little more time. Let's, let's take like time away from this, et cetera. So that's something that we will be doing. And that's again something that, um, this kind of industry allows us to do rather than maybe a different industry probably wouldn't. That's a really good point too, uh, because for example, because we're solidifying it and stuff like that, then like immediately efficiencies were already made. Like some of the stuff, for example, that we, like we kind of knew what we were, what direction we wanted to go in, in 2020 as a general thing. So at the end of 2020, we started solidifying maintenance contracts and we started solidifying different passive income sources. And we have actually a little bit of income coming from each of those streams already, which is really great. And so even though that was like at the tail end of last year, like technically that's for this year, right? Like we was in prep, like it was preparatory for this year. And then we also bought some different tools. So like I was telling Michael, we, we bought, we bought some tools uh, for some social media tools and some other tools that are, that are around that I have to, I have to test them out. But like, we would never have invested that money in it. But now that we're being more serious about each individual thing where we're being like, okay, where does the time, whatever, when, when Mike and I talked about this and said, okay, we need to be more efficient about these things. I said, okay, but we can't judge these things until we actually invest money in them. You know, you can't tell me to go build a car. I always bring back the car analogy, but it's it's so simple and relatable, at least in my experiences. Like, you can't tell me to go build a car with, like, a dollar fifty in my pocket, right? So, like, that's why we've sort of been taking a little bit of our income and our existing income and reinvesting it into certain systems that we think are going to work and we want to work like these. Like, the new hat website is a huge undertaking for us. Because we're the, the big thing is that we're designing it so that it's sustainable, which I'm going to get into here. It's just the content plan is sustainable in our current workflow, but it's easily adjustable up. If that if the website starts doing well, I can just become like the editor in chief and like literally don't do anything else. And all other revenue streams maybe fall by the wayside. And I'm going to get into diversification, which we already touched on in a minute. But then the diversification would stem from the website then. So it's like the website's doing well. Let's focus on there. We focus. We get like this big goose egg of like revenue stream, not like an actual bulk amount of money. And then we then, you know, branch out from there. Like, what can we do on the website? I don't know, membership site or something, right? Like, you're just really spitballing. But that's kind of how we plan on doing things moving forward. Um, and with that, uh, with uh, our, our next full segment here, our uh, different revenue streams. So 
uh, Digital Dynasty Design is uh, equipped to handle quote unquote traditional client business, meaning that it is uh, it is designed like a small web agency where clients come to us with projects, so something like a web app or a website, and we make th- those things for them, and then and then it's that, and then it. I don't know why I wrote in my short notes, and then it's that it's short, and then it's that it's short, Mike. But anyway, um, but like short of us making that website, getting that like bulk amount of money, like, Hey, here, like, thanks for making my business card website. Here's $500 or something like that. Short of that, we're kind of out. Like, that's it. Thanks for the $500 and we're out. Uh, that's sort of where we're diversifying a bit, where we want to maybe host that person, which we've been doing for some, where, where we maybe want to host that person, but we're going to kind of push that a little bit more now because some people already had hosting, of course, and that type of thing. Uh, we also maybe would get some phone calls back where they would ask for small changes in that. And then if we identify a uh, trend in that, then we're going to present like a maintenance package, those type of things. Those are the type of things that we're kind of working on rather than just relying on that one bulk payment of, Hey, here's that $500, you know, sayonara, they leave. And it's like, well, okay, now we better find somebody else. So we just want to be a little bit more agile in that type of environment. Um, now, one of the major uh, disadvantages of this, of being that traditional, you know, sort of client business, however, is that a client business can be hard uh, to, uh, to find more clients. Uh, and when you do, so when you do find a client that's interested and has a project, it, they might not actually have the budget to pay what you charge. And they may have shopped around and you might, let's say you're the cheapest or you're the one that they want to go with regardless. So they might actually lessen, and we've seen this several times, but they may actually lessen their project scale and end up making it sort of a budget site. And so now you're, of course, doing less work because it's a budget site, but you're also making less money. And then you, you're off to go find another client. So that's one of the, that's one of the things that sucks is because now you're like, well, damn, this isn't such a big project. You know, you kind of want those larger projects, uh, those larger projects. But now it's like, well, I guess we're doing a $500 business card, business card site. Like, what are we going to do? Um, now, luckily, uh, despite all this, uh, we've been able to stay afloat, stay afloat, uh, between these hardships. So between, you know, not finding clients or, having people lessen their budget or whatever. We've been, been able to stay afloat like amongst all this over the years. And that's mostly because we've been, you know, kind of constantly on the hunt for different revenue streams. So as we mentioned in the show in the past, we've tried things like Chrome apps, Chrome extensions, a stock photo website, the list goes on. And this sort of scrappiness, um, this sort of scrappiness has helped us uh, keep our skills fresh in between client work and allowed us to learn a lot about different different app markets, uh, different social media things, like different little methodologies, algorithms, whatever, uh, and a bunch of the surrounding environment. So whether that be budgets or, I don't know, tax incentives or whatever, that web agencies are sort of surrounded by at all times. So, for example, Hat, its website, community, and podcasts are no different. They're another one of our initiatives to fill in the gaps between making websites for clients. So of course the podcast, for example, is really consistent, of course. But if you notice, we don't write content every single day. It's because I'm not a full-time employee of Hat. I'm not a full-time editor-in-chief of Hat. We're doing client work in between everything. And the podcast is just sort of like that glue and the Discord is just sort of like that glue that keeps everything together and keeps everything active during the week. So you, we have this thing that really, this thing, the podcast that releases every week. And then we also have our discord, which it goes on every day, but we're not always there because we have that other thing, because we have that other work to do. Um, and as we mentioned in the previous segment, uh, diversification is key to ensuring the bottom line is secure. 
So for example, having just one large client or one app that you hinge on for all your revenue might be great money. But what happens when the client hits hard times or when another viral app hits the scene and they kick you out? Now it's like, well, like now it's panic mode and you're like, what do we do? Right? What the, what the heck do we do? So having additional yet related, and that's important, the related part, and I'll get into that, uh, yet related income streams is a, is critical to a business's survival. So for example, when we say we've got, uh, more server space for, for hosting clients, we've already diversified. Let's say we get five new clients this year, uh, and host them all. We get paid. And, and so obviously we're getting paid to develop their websites in a lump sum. Here's your $500, $1,000, whatever it is. And then we also get paid that recurring revenue for hosting their websites. Now you have to also consider that some of these clients may also sign up for a maintenance agreement, which is increasing the recurring once again. Now let's say that two or three of these clients shut down, you know, their businesses collapse and they shut down within a year. We still have two to three left that are paying hosting fees for sure that are possibly paying maintenance fees. And those, that smaller income, of course, of course it's smaller now, that smaller income though allows us to sort of fill in that gap so that we can find another two or three to quote unquote replace those, those clients, replace that revenue. And that's sort of a really important point. Now, this is way more uh, secure than holding on desperately to a single client, um, having them fail and then leaving you penniless. Same thing with your app. If you were the number one, I don't know, hashtag, generator app in the in the marketplace someone else sees that or you're the number one reposter someone sales sees that they come in they make a new like they hate your ux and they make this awesome ux and they add like a bunch of features of whatever and they add they market it perfectly and they just kick you out of the market well now you have no money coming in so even if you upgrade your app you may of course get some money back but you're there's still a hole there and you're scared to market now because if you use the existing money you have because you have no other revenue sources you use the existing money you have to market your app now you're in some serious trouble because then you're like well now i'm out of money and maybe my app didn't take back off now what do we do now um as i said too this that related part the thing i said that was important so keeping all these revenue streams related is very important so that a you're not learning an entirely new skill set you know i'm not telling you to make websites today and then become a car mechanic in the evening like maybe you want to do that fine but in terms of business efficiency that's a little bit crazy uh b if you uh b you're able to uh, continue innovations and you're mastering your craft in a particular section of the industry you're in so if you're staying in web development you're mastering web development you're not running around cleaning houses in the background while you, you know, come back to do websites. Again, all that stuff is fine as a side hustle or whatever if you need to do it. But in terms of efficiency, this is how you would do it or this is how we would do it. And then C, uh, you're not burning out trying to task switch between completely different things all day. So actually, one of the hardest things that we find is if we're really busy that day, oftentimes it's not that we had you know, 30 hours of work or something crazy in an eight hour day. It's that we're task switching between different stacks, for example, between different, different projects entirely, different content plans, different clients. That's when it gets really hectic because you're just like, damn, like, how did I build this thing? And then you, you know, you spend half an hour sort of like re, re, like climatizing to this other client site. You're like, oh, okay, good. And then, then the phone rings and it's another client and he needs help like right away. And it's like, well, damn, like I, don't, <laughs> like I just got used to WordPress again. Like, I don't know what, you know, I don't know what you're doing. So that, that's what sucks. And furthermore, if you're doing something that's totally unrelated, like imagine jumping from doing somebody's taxes and then completely unrelated, you go and like do lawns. 
So you're dealing with the logistics of like driving this truck around with your lawnmower and you're trying to figure out where to go on the most efficient route and you figure out like what lawnmower to buy that's most efficient for gas and stuff like that or whether you should use electric, but not all places have electricity outside. And, you know, there's like this whole thing, right? There's all this logistics that, that you don't think of right off the top. And then you're like also being like, damn, I got to get home and do my do these taxes. And then you got to learn all those tax laws. Like, it, you know, like that, that's crazy, right? The task switching is what crazy. That's what is what's crazy about that. That's why tax professionals usually are just tax professionals or accounting professionals, whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. So I'll let Mike kind of take it away after that large rant slash segment. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But so, and I think you're a hundred percent right about the tax task switching. And that's something we for sure have to do better this year. Because I don't know about you, Matt, but I'm constantly task switching between like during my day and that's working on one client. Like when our one client is very big and he has to, we're doing multiple different things at once and it requires multiple different technology stacks and that 100% delays me hard. So I'm one of my goals for this year and I'm going to just add a goal into our, into our, uh, you know, that previous episode that we had about the goals, um, is to definitely optimize my workflow and optimize our work time and one of the things that i need to do to do that is to avoid task switching and context switching as much as i possibly can so i can actually get a task done efficiently rather than switching between three different like technology stacks four like four times a day um and you know having to ramp up every single time to figure out where i was at at that current time what's not working what is working anyway it's it, it is kind of a nightmare and on on the other stuff um the like the diversification of revenues of revenue streams that we're currently doing is is extremely important like matt was saying because uh if we're if you're relying on only one of the revenue streams and like matt said it goes down uh we'd be in trouble at this point uh but we are very slowly working towards a a good a, a very solid diversification and what we what matt and i will have to figure out as well is once once we di- do diversify and have like significant revenue streams from different sources is how we're going to be doing, how we're going to be managing that money, how we're going to be managing that time uh, when everything is going well. So we're always kind of thinking worst case scenarios. So we're always like, okay, what's going to happen when everything's bad? But we're never really in the state where we're like, okay, what's going to happen when everything's good? Like what happens when, you know, we have five different revenue streams and they're all doing well like do we hire someone do we contract out someone how do we manage the like the, the income coming in so that we we do we can plan for the worst case scenarios like that's something that's another step in maybe maybe it's out of the context of this episode but another step in a business where you have to kind of like plan for the future plan for good and the bad like you know a uh, uh, a good saying is um you know hope for the best but prepare for the worst and that's kind of how I live my life. And that's what I want to kind of Im- input into our business because we are getting to the point where the business is doing much better than it was like, you know, a year ago. And it is on a very high trajectory and everything is kind of going really well. So we do have to kind of talk and sit down and figure out how do we make it even better? Like how do we put the, you know, put the wood in the fire and keep it going, keep it burning um, rather than thinking about, okay, what's the worst case scenario if everything kind of dies down? That's a really good point, actually. And I, and I actually kind of attribute this, and this is just like my personal, my personal thoughts on this is I actually kind of attribute this to our IT background. So I actually do this in real life and it really sucks. Um, to be honest, like 
it, people think that I'm being negative about stuff, but in reality, what I'm doing is I'm always looking for a problem, but I'm looking for a problem so that I can solve that problem and not have it creep up on me. And I wonder if that's to blame because of our IT background, where you want to ensure you see system logs about a drive failing before it has failed, for example. And so you're kind of always on the hunt. Like, I'm really strange when I get a new device, for example. I know this is like, it's like related in in thought, but it's like different, obviously, uh, than talking about directly about revenue streams. But like, for example, like if I get a device, I will like sit there like, and, and this is weird. Like, this is weird. I will sit there and like, look at it and I will look for like problems. I'll like test the buttons and be like, Oh, that one's a little more squishy than the other one. Is that a problem? And in reality, all it is, is a manufacturer tolerance. Like nobody, like no one's doing that. You know what I mean? Like, like no one's noticing these things. Like I got a brand new computer chair and I noticed that the left arm, and this is real. The left arm is moves a little bit more than that right arm. And it's not something that's tightenable. It's literally just a manufactured tolerance. But it's like, I never look at the way things are if it's going well. Like, this is a great chair. But I never, like, I always have that mentality first of, like, we have to analyze this. We have to take a look at this. Like, we have to make sure this is okay. I never just pick something up and go, like, woo, you know, this is great. I always look for that problem. And so you're right. Like, we have to sort of switch, I think, that mentality switching it back to business where instead of us looking for a problem, we have to take a look at like, Oh, we have a surplus of this. Should we in maybe invest in this? Uh, we have a surplus of this. Should we, I don't know, pay ourselves a bonus. That'd be nice. Uh, like, you know, whatever, right? Whatever it is. I just think that, I don't know about you when you pick up something new or like whatever, but certainly that same mentality when I pick up a new device applies directly to everything I do at work too. I'm always, like, ensuring everything's ready to go. Like, I have, like, notes set up where I'm like, I'm going to forget this. Like, I'm going to write this down. And and it and it helps me at work. That's the thing that sucks is, like, it does help me. Like, this mentality helps me at work, even though we're not doing IT that much anymore. Well, not at all, unless you're considered, like, helping somebody when their website goes down IT, which I guess you kind of do. But it that that's that's the thing that sucks. And I don't know whether you experience the same thing, Mike, but like, I'm always looking for the problem. I'm never looking for like, oh, this is great. Like my, my first thought process when I like look at something on a TV or something is like, oh, that guy's an idiot. It's never like, whoa, like he did a lot. And then that one thing sucked. And I'm always just like, that guy's an idiot. It's just cause like, I always focus on that, on the problem. And we do the same in our business. Both of us do. And as you said, both of us do it and it's, it's messed up. Yeah. I, I don't think it's messed up. I think it's human nature for a lot of people. Like, uh, pessimism or whatever like it's just we're, we're always kind of on the defensive rather than on the offensive a lot most people i think are in that state um and i have been trying to do i have been trying to switch my mentality over the years uh like you said with the phone like picking up a new piece of technology i do try to kind of like not look for the defects but the problem is is that when a defect occurs it is very glaring rather than where if something's working well, I don't notice that how am- amazing it's working. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I look, I still have that mentality where I, if I see a defect or if I see something going, starting to, to be bad, that draws my attention and my mind much more than if something is starting to be really good. Um, and that is something that we have to work on both with the business and with everything else, but it's not something it's not something that we can only do. Like you can't just switch your mentality and just do that. I think you have to have a mix of both because like you said, it does help you in work to think about the problems that could occur in this situation. I think you still have to do that, but you have to kind of 
try to separate uh try to separate your mind and be able to do both so be able to see the problems and see the good and be able to counteract both so like if if something's good put the you know put more wood on the fire or put more coals or whatever uh and if something's bad then try to like adapt to it and, or you know change your direction of where you're going so i think we need to do both i don't think we need to abandon how we're how we've been doing things completely i just think we need to add in the look for the positive section yeah that's a, that's a good that's a good point because it is like a helpful skill it's just i think the dwelling is the problem right like whether yeah. we dwell, like I mean, like whether whether we dwell on it for like a long time or a short time, the fact that we're dwelling on it is like sort of I mean, this isn't a mental health thing, but it's like it's bad for mental health. Like it's not good. Like I got a new like fuck, I'm so weird. Like I got a new bed and I like got out of it the other day and heard like a creak. It was like oh, that's a new creak. Like what's that? And so I like look around. Like it's but it's like it's mentality. Like I'm just like I have to check the frame. So I check the frame. It's like okay, that's good. And I'm not like panicking while I'm doing it. It's just like it's just in my like logical. Like, okay, now let's check the matches. Oh, let's see. Oh, it looks like it's creaking here. Is there something wrong with this? Like, I'm just, like, it's, it's, I'm insane. Like, it, I, I feel like I'm insane when I'm doing it, but it's because that's what I do. Like, even in, even in, like, my hobby, if, like, I'm having trouble with, like, the sound or something on my console, I don't know, the video cut out or something, whatever, I'm gonna do that, like, troubleshooting process where it's like, okay, is it the console? No. All right, is it this? No. Okay. Like, it's just a thing that be- because I'm, like, so in tune to tech that the process works so well, I'm not applying it to everything. It drives me insane. The other- like, I was sitting here for, like, ten minutes checking the arms of this chair because one moved, like, a half a centimeter more. And I was like, and it's, like, moved a little easier. And I'm like, what am I doing? It's just, like, a manufacturer tolerance. Like, what am I doing? With my space bar on my keyboard, I was like, remember that? I was like, for some reason, only using the rightmost side, which I just do naturally. But instead of me adjusting... Where I like move my thumb, I was like, oh, I gotta send this laptop back to the keyboard doesn't work. But then we found out the actuator is a different spot, but like I needed that justification just to be able to, like okay with it. Yeah. Like it Yeah, it's a it's a mentality thing and it's not gonna be easy for you to change it because like you said, like you're you're I guarantee you're still thinking about that arm right now I'm as we're talking like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're probably going you're probably janking with it. And the fact that you're janking with it is probably making it worse. So it's always like one of those things where if you put too much time and you obsess over it, you, you're probably going to make it worse rather than make it better. Yeah. So it's the obsessing factor that you have to kind of cut out rather than the, like, you know, preemptive attack or whatever you want to call or preemptive, uh, you know, defense and stuff like that. So I would I would definitely try to work on it. And it is I think it is a, like a mental health thing. Messed um, up. Because a lot, of, a lot of stuff is mental health related. Uh, but it's just... Like it, it, the first thing is like you know you know it's there, so it's gonna that's gonna help you kind of counteract it slowly. But it's definitely gonna take you some time, and it's definitely gonna be work for you to kind of work work that process out, where you're not obsessing over every little defect that you occur in like during the day, because that that takes up way too much time. Like you're you're wasting time that you could be spending doing something oh, yeah. either with your hobby or work, whatever on janking with the, uh, the, the chair. Janking and, with the and like, there isn't anything wrong with it. Like if you brought your chair tech, you'd be like, dude, it moves like slightly more to the left. Like it's a plastic arm. Like both of them are supposed to be flexible. One's a little bit more like in the factory. They didn't get a ruler and like go, Hmm, like is the rate, you know what I mean? It's not like it's creaking. It's not broken. It's just me being like, Oh, this moves slightly more. Now what? Like, like, who cares? Like, that's it. You know what I mean? Who cares? But I, I care for some reason. I do a weird thing as well, real brief, is, like, I look at wear on something. 
So I'll look, look and be like, oh, it's wearing on the right. What is, what am I doing wrong with it on the right? And I'll like take a look and be like, oh, maybe I should hold it with my left hand then instead. Like, it's like, it, it, it literally like consumes. I can't, and I need to like find a justification to be like, oh, okay. So like, that's just the way it was or whatever. I, it's, it's bad, man. Like, it's not good. And I'm not, like, panicking. I'm not, like, sitting there sweating up a storm or, like, like, you know, freaking out or it's not consuming my whole day. But it certainly is consuming my thoughts for a bit. It's like, oh, well, well, damn. Like, what, like, what's going on here? Like, it's not, it's not good. Like, it's not good. (laughs) Fuck. Like, it just, I hope someone else has this problem because otherwise I'm going to feel real weird. (laughs) Do you have this problem? No, not really. I have it again. I I have a certain degree of it because, like we've said, we both do the same thing in business and everything else. Like I do, I do see defects way more than I see any positives of anything happening. And I, but I don't. I at least I try not to, you know, circle around in that defect. What does make me angry, and I don't know if this is weird, is like, and it's something that I do on a consistent basis. I'll find a defect. I'll be angry at it for that split second. That that it like you know. For instance, Android Auto in the car sometimes doesn't work properly. It'll stutter or something like that. And I'll be like, damn, that's annoying. Like, I should look that up and fix it. Um, and then I just, like, forget about it. As soon as I leave the car, I'm like, oh, that's gone. So I do, like, the opposite of you where I, like, literally just move it out of my head. And then what? I want, but when I sit back in the car, I'm like, oh, shit. Same, oh, like, yeah. that defect could happen <laughs> again. Even if it doesn't happen, that defect could happen again. And then I'm like, really, I really should look this up. And it takes me a while from that cycle to actually go and look it up. So it's it's one of those things that I, I think I do the opposite of you almost. So I do see defects and they do annoy me, but I, instead of like cycling, circling on them, um, I just move on until they come back up and annoy me again. And, and it grows slowly. Like I, my annoyance grows with time if it keeps happening. Yeah. So you're like, you're doing the same thing as me, but over time, whereas I'm yeah. getting pissed off immediately and being like, I'm solving this now. Like, I don't want to hear about this again. And I'll, like, either find a justification for it or, like, do something. Like, it's messed up, man. Like, it's not good. Like, I mm-hmm. should, should have, like, a, one of those, like, should have, like, seriously, join, like, a like a support group for IT staff or after work issues. Like, honestly, like, <laughs> I, I, I think it might be the IT stuff. But, like, I need that skill. Like, I don't know, like, for troubleshooting and stuff, whether it be for work or for, like, play. Like, I don't know what else to do. Like, the other thing I... think I, we both have to get, find a good medium. Like, I should I should be more preemptive once I see an annoyance. I should actually, like, go sometimes and try to fix it a little bit, but then not cycle on. Like, not go, don't go crazy about it. And you should kind of go into the middle as well where you're not going crazy about it, but you are using those IT skills and that IT intuition to kind of fix it as well and then just move on. Like you shouldn't you shouldn't need justification for every single little thing that happens. Like like the arm thing is a little bit crazy. I got I, right? I almost got a ruler out. I, I, I fully believe you. That's what I'm and trying to I say. And then I determined it like, was about half a centimeter and I was like, oh that's probably manufacturer tolerance and then that, that that's yeah. my justification. Yeah. But on the other hand, when you're sitting down and playing games and you hear an audio defect on your console, I feel like that's a situation where you're like, oh that's probably an issue and i should go and try to fix it because there is reasoning for that yeah like i think it was there should be some sort of middle ground for both of us where like i shouldn't be as lenient on the defects (laughs) and you shouldn't be as crazy about them this is this is insane 
It's like fucking group therapy here. Like that. Like seriously though. Like what, what the fuck are we? Doing? But you're right. Like it, it's weird that we're doing the same thing, but like you're just moving on, and I'm just like fuck. I don't want to hear about this again. Like I need to fix this today. But I'm lenient, like you actually, with stuff that I have no no idea what's going on. So I'll like go and like flip light switch and be like, damn, that's not working. Like, and then that's it. Like, well, I guess this thing's broken then. And then I just move on. Like, ah, I don't. That's weird. ah, Damn it. Come on, Mike. Help me, bud. (laughs) Someone in the audience, please tell me you do the same thing as us. Because I'm getting worried now. (laughs) Like, we're the only weird IT guys. We're going to be the the guy that, like, they're going to discover some new, like, syndrome or something because of us. I'm going to guess no. What? I'm going to guess no. I'm. I'm going to guess no, but now I'm going to look. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think we should move on to the web news. Uh, yes. Yeah. So you want to do the sponsor spot? Yeah. So then... I'll do a, I'll do the sponsor spot and then we'll move on. Um, well, there's a defect in this sponsor spot. No, I'm just kidding. Um, maybe there's a defect in the typography. Huh? We better nope. take a look. Better get that ruler out, put it up against the screen. <laughs> Um, this episode is sponsored by the one membership by template monster, uh, one membership, your ultimate web development kit. This includes uh, WordPress and CMS themes, e-commerce themes, powerful plugins, presentation templates, diverse graphics, unlimited installations, 24 seven technical support, and one year of free hosting. Use our link tinyurl.com slash HTML, all the things with our unique promo code to receive 10% off. That code is HTML 10 or sorry, HTML, all the things 10. Uh, we do receive a monetary kickback for any purchases made using our link and promo code. And I will include a written version of the link and the promo code in the show notes. So you can easily click copy, paste and read those details, but moving on here, CES just happened. That's our web news this week. I'll let Mike kind of take it away and we'll go through it. Yeah, let's do it. Um, CES. So unless in case people don't know is the consumer electronics show. And it's usually where like new technology is released. Um, it's been getting more spread out over the year now. There's like a bunch of different shows. So it used to be where like literally all the technology was released. Uh, now it's more, you know, focused and it's not everything. So, uh, it's a lot, it focused a lot on TVs. Like mostly all the new technology for TVs gets shown at CES. Um, so, you know, 8K TVs, rolling, foldable, flexible stuff auto flexing TVs. I saw one, I don't know if it was from LG or Samsung that you could like press a button and it'll uh, curve. I don't know why, but fine. Okay. So you can have like a curved screen and a flat screen, whatever you, whenever you want them. So that's, that's kind of cool. But it's stuff like that, like stuff like, you know, cutting edge technology that you might not even see in the consumer side. Uh, rather, rather, it might just be kind of like a way of showcasing and then other people might buy that stuff and then use it in their own technology years in the future. Um, but something that was interesting and something that I want to talk about in, from a developer standpoint is the folding laptops. Um, so there, that was a big trend this year where, with Dell, Lenovo, and Microsoft all showing folding laptops. So it's a single screen laptop and with foldable displays and as like it is kind of gimmicky to me there's like there's a few there's a few options where like you can fold a you know 13 inch display into a you know five a seven inch laptop like so it fits into your bag a lot easier and it it'll also include like a bluetooth keyboard in there and stuff like that so that you can actually put on the display if you want or you can take off 
to me that that functionality is eh, like it's okay, I guess. Um, but the one thing that I do think will be a good thing for development or especially mobile development in the future is the larger ones. So a 17 inch screen folding into like a 13 inch laptop size. That will be really cool because what they do is like Microsoft showed this off is when you unfold it, it becomes a 17 inch display, um, with a good aspect ratio and it has its own stand. So you put the stand in, then you, it actually comes with a Bluetooth keyboard that you can kind of put in that package, put the keyboard in front of the display. And now you have a 17 inch screen in front of you that didn't take up much room in your, in your bag. And you know, you know, you can put a lot of code, a lot of lines of code on that screen. You can do a lot of things. I mean, you can bring another screen with you to have even more and stuff like that. So that's where that's the kind of thing I would use in a development workflow more than anything else. Um, other than that, the other thing that I was thinking of is will we have to design websites in the future to be folding compatible? So because phones are becoming folding right now mm. where people, people are actually using them not only in their fully unfolded and fully folded state, but people I have seen use them in like a book kind of way where like they're looking at the left side and the right side of the screen with a crease in the middle, kind of like a book. So is there going to be a, are there going to be websites designed that, that take that crease into account and make it like, so your website kind of has two pages almost. So you're able to like show a lot of information on the left and a lot of information on the right and kind of leave the middle empty when you detect a folding display. What do you think, Matt? Well, there's, there's a couple interesting use cases right away. So you're saying like a book. So that's interesting yes. for websites that have longer content, longer written content, like blog posts and such like Medium, for example. If you're using Medium, the website or Medium, the app even, you could, you know, you could utilize that like a book. You could literally have, you know, page one on the left and page two on the right. There's also some implications there. So obviously a website right now is sort of free form in terms of its length. Uh, maybe there's a maybe there's a hard limit somewhere, but in general, you know, it, it can be one paragraph, it could be a hundred paragraphs, and you just kind of scroll through. So there's a question of where does the pages cut off. Um, so there's like that's a question in terms of technical. I was going to say technical prowess. That's not right, but like in terms of a technical question, I guess. Another thing I was thinking of though is what if this is the era of um, smart glass like utility with a book slash folding display like that, if that makes sense. So what I mean by that is, so Xbox Smart Glass back in the day, and I think it's still around, I don't actually know. Xbox Smart Glass was like this this thing that was supposed to be like a companion app on your phone, where if you were watching a movie or whatever, it would show like the actors and such on your screen. Now that does happen uh, on, let's say your let's say your movie collections in Google Play, so you have your Google Play videos or whatever it's called, uh, and you... You like you're watching your movie. Let's say you Chromecast it. Your screen, your your smartphone screen, is no longer playing the movie, but it does have some companion like stuff, like the actors again and stuff like that. You can click on them and read about read about the actors and whatever. Um, I wonder if we're gonna see more utility out of something like that. So right now it's very much like a very like oh who's that guy and you look you know pull up your screen. I wonder if it's gonna be better now. Where let's hypothetically say you're playing a game and that game is very difficult at a certain point. And that game also knows that, however, that people used a guide at a specific at a particular point. What if the videos show up on the right-hand side? Now, what that could also be used for in terms of a website 
is not necessarily the game, but like, what if, what if the content is, is dynamic such that if you're reading through and let's say it's, I don't know, a doctor wrote some sort of essay and that's published on a site and they know that you define, that people kept going Google define a certain term as you're scrolling through, as you're getting to that paragraph, it has the definition on the right hand screen or furthermore, if there's a video guide that's a, that's that's uh you know with that with that uh, written guide what if that video guide shows up on the right but even further more than that just like how google right now will give you a suggested piece of a video where you're like i want to know how to like arrange forks i don't know <laughs> arrange forks and then they they take a whole kitchen organization video and they say please watch you know one you know from 1 minute to 1 minute 30 for the fork section what if as you're scrolling through, you get to step two and you're like, damn, I don't really get what this is saying. What if you click on the video and the video is always there, but it starts at step two. And then you can watch the video while you're like, oh, that's what it means by a line. Like, I didn't know it was aligning the back of this or whatever. So, yeah, like little I use think- cases like that, where instead of it just being a book, it can also be like a whole enhancement. I think you're onto something there, to be honest, because as soon as you were saying that, my first thought was like, even for intellectual purposes, like a Wikipedia article, or like you were saying, a research article, um, you're, you're reading it on the left hand side. And while you're scrolling, it contextually is aware of like, let's say even a, a, a source gets sor- sorted, gets uh, quoted or whatever, or cited. Uh, it automatically kind of like, opens that source as you're scrolling so you can know exactly where it's cited from that's cool that like that you know like and that. you can keep going i mean this is a very specific use case but it can be used like you said for many many different things like like any link that you're that you're scrolling by could contextually open and you can see that that link on the right hand panel or the left hand however you set it up um that could be really cool and i wonder you know what really sucks and this is maybe maybe some pessimism it's going to be used for for more ads Yes. And it's going to be used for more dynamic ads. Yep. Which really which yep. really sucks. That sucks, but it's probably it's probably true. 100%. Yeah, as soon as this comes into play, people are going to use it for more like full cover ads. Like it's going to be just you're scrolling through like a it's not going to be medium, but I don't know, CNN article or something like that and their next article is right there and then a whole thing is like the freaking fully there, a whole ad for tide or something it's like yeah whatever it is like it's a billboard it's an open spot it's an open spot if this if this type of utility comes i wish one, one thing that i do want to discuss and maybe we can do a future web news on this is i really want to discuss a way of monetizing and a way a way forward for the internet and for content without ads without having to have it be ads because right now there's no other way really Ads are the way that people make money on the internet for the most part. Like, obviously, there's products and stuff like that. People sell products. Like, Netflix doesn't have ads. They have subscription you, fees. You, you pay monthly subscription fees. But most content on the internet is ad-supported. Yeah. Like, all of YouTube is ad-supported or sponsor-supported. Not, not Any for free me content. anymore. Yeah, but you're still watching stuff that is supported by sponsors. Oh, that's right. Damn them. I didn't, now I'm going to worry yeah, about you that. Can't, you can't get – yeah, you can't, you can't get away from it. So – I'm wondering if there's a way forward where you can still have free content. Because I'm only talking about free. Sorry, that, that, that should have been my distinction. I'm wondering if there's a way to, forward so you can have free content because that's what the website, that's what the internet is built on right now. 
I saw. But, well, sorry. Go ahead. I thought you're done. Sorry. Yeah, but but still free content and avoid ads and still have quality free content where the people that are generating it are generating income to us equal or greater than with ads. Like right now, there is no solution for it. I don't really want to go deep into this because I want to kind of like both of us sit down and think about it before we come come up with a web news about it. But um, I wonder if it would be an interesting topic. Well, I, actually, one of the one of the things I saw as a concept, and I don't know whether it's in practice or not, but uh, what it was was like a certain amount of your computing power is actually available, obviously, to a website. And so if you're reading a website like I am right now where I have the show notes in front of me, that's not using the, the, you know, the full power that my browser has access to. And one of the ideas was that you a person wouldn't realize it if they've done responsibly where someone's actually, when you're on their website, they're mining some sort of Bitcoin or some sort of uh, other currency, some sort of, uh, what do you call those things, cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. while you're on their site. And then, therefore, you're you know paying them a, a nickel or whatever it is with your computing. I'd power. be okay with that. I think as long as it's as long as it's opt in rather than opt out, I'd be okay with it. Like if they if if a pop up comes up and says like, hey, if you don't want to see ads, enable crypto mining, and it's only and it's not a hundred percent of your CPU. It only it only uses a little bit, like fifty percent or something. Even I think I would be okay with that. I can see technical implications, like you're right. Like right now, we have pretty powerful computers, so I would realize I wouldn't really care. But for example, on that MacBook, if you're uh, rendering or uh, you're compiling something, let's say, and you said it's already slow, and then you go on a website, now it's going to be even slower. And like it's a pretty normal thing to go on a website while something's compiling. You just you know read up on something or whatever. And you because you also multiple tabs, multiple tab. Well, like the tabs, like they would have to do it responsibly where. Let's say you're using Chrome, like Chrome would have to say, okay, like if the person's on your website for more than 10 seconds and that tab has to be active, then we'll give them a certain amount. If not, then whatever. Like it would, I think it may have to be controlled by the browsers to an extent because the yeah. browsers are like the thing that are installing, like that you're giving all those permissions to, but that mm-hmm. would, that, that's an interesting way. I don't mind ads though. Like I, I hate, I, the thing, the thing, the thing is this, and this might be weird. We're going to, we're going to have ads on the hat site. Sorry guys, but we're, we are, that's just mm-hmm. the way it is. Um, but I try to stay away from scammy ads in that I hate those ones where it's like, keep scrolling to get rid of this Buick out of the way. Like get, like actually leave. I don't want to keep scrolling. Get out. So, um, that went to one, that went zero to a hundred really quick. And then we're back down. But anyway, like just get out. Like, you know what I mean? I'm just, I'm just done with that. Like I'm that done with that idea. And so I hate stuff like that. Or when like a video ad like shows up and then it like follows you and like keeps like being like, Hey, like you gotta press the X on me, you know, get out. I hate that type of stuff. It's like, show your banner and then move on. And if you don't, and if you're extremely scammy, I just don't come back. Or I don't come back unless I like, absolutely need to, and I only come back when I absolutely need to. And that's it. Yeah. I guess the the other option you're right is to just do ads better. Just to have better ads. Because there are even commercials out there that are watchable and they're good. So if, if people put that effort into ads, maybe it wouldn't be as bad. Because you're right. Like, if... If ads were instead of just buy this, buy this, look at look at our brand, but instead of that, they were more of a this is something you would actually need and that's the kind of thought process that goes into it or this is something you're actually interested in and they do it really well, then that's a different context because if I'm looking at like – if I'm currently looking at – for instance, I'm looking at for, for apartments, renting apartments right now 
Google knows that. Amazon, everyone knows that. Oh, you're damn right. When they I go, know that, and they want to make sure yeah, that it's equipped have, with Alexa or yeah. equipped with Google Assistant. <laughs> everyone knows, like all the ad, all the ad stuff. Notice, and if I'm on a site and it shows me a nice ad for a local apartment, that's something that's legitimately important. Like that's good for me, so I'll click on it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that, that's just one example, like many, like, you know, if I'm looking for, but I think there has to, w- one thing that I was actually considering is I think there has to be a way for us to control what our interests, instead of it being an automatic thing where like, you know, if you click on uh, a dishwasher accidentally on Amazon, everything will be just dishwashers for you everywhere. I think there should be a way for us to go in and define what our ad preferences are. Yeah. Because then it'll be better for everyone. Like if I'm if I'm looking for if I'm really interested in gaming for instance and I choose gaming and then I and then I have subcategories like okay I'm really into, these are the consoles I have and these are the consoles I want these are the ads I want shown yeah yeah and then they actually show me sales for games that I could be interested in that's something that might work you know what I mean whereas where they're just shooting you know randomly into a bucket based on your browsing history that annoys me a lot more of the time than it helps me like, obviously, they hit it sometimes. They hit the right ad sometimes, and it's like, okay, that's interesting there. But for the most part, it's just annoying crap that I accidentally clicked on or I clicked on, like, a year ago and is not relevant anymore, et cetera. So I think there should be a way, and it's not easy. This isn't an easy um, – this isn't an easy thing to do that because people don't want to go in and answer surveys. People don't want to go in and set any sort of defaults. Like, people don't want to do that. Also, so you have people to make don't know it, what they want. Also, people don't know what they want. So you have to make some sort of a – some something that will make it – that will make that process fun or that will that make that process worthwhile or will make that process good. There has to be a way to do that and obviously we're not there yet. But I think you're right where like I'm not opposed to all ads. I just think that most if not like 90% of ads are useless. So like it's just you're wasting so much potential – and it's annoying to see that. Whereas if you put time and effort into your ad structure, maybe we can get to get to a place where it's actually interesting. I think I think one of the things that sucks too, and this is the internet as a whole, um, is and like I don't know whether we want to move on after this, is because we want to talk about CES. But um, one of the things that really sucks is that a lot of content on the internet now is created by creators. Like that's sort of like the term now. The the uh, the type of like oh I'm a creator I draw or I'm a creator I do news or whatever it is and so you're like a creator slash influencer and a lot of that stuff really isn't monetizable by default like if you're a guy who does a bunch of news and talks about the news every day you know unless you have a very specific specific brand where you could sell things like cups and stuff like that to the masses by the way it can't be like two ten dollar purchases to the masses, you're kind of screwed without ads. You know, you need, like, it's just like TV. It's like, how else are they supposed to monetize TV? And I I have noticed that TV has gotten a little bit greasier where you'll be watching a show and then, like, a mini ad pops up after the commercial where it's like, hey, buy this thing, and then disappears. It's like, what? Was that a commercial inside of the TV show? Like, it was. You know, that's what it was. And that sucks. You know, stuff like that gets a little bit scammy and and whatnot, but, like, it's just one of those... I wonder if, see, like subscriptions, like subscriptions work kind of like, like the Patreon, like Patreon works good for a lot of people. Um, you know, it's working okay for us too, but like it, it's one of those things where 
it's really designed, at least in my opinion, it's really designed for people that, like, let's say, draw, and you just want their limited edition drawings, where they draw a certain amount of stuff, and they, you know, tier one, you get all my drawings, tier two, you get all my limited edition drawings, you know, whatever it is, um, whereas, like, for us, it's sort of like, we, yeah, we give you a shout out, like, there is a tangible thing that we're giving you, but... Like, there's no way I can sell this podcast in a store, if that makes sense, or even an online store to make it more future-proof. Like, it's it's not like that. And we're trying some stickers and stuff like that, but I would say that a lot of people are sort of in our boat, or even in worse case, worse, like, worser cases, because they just do, like, gaming news, and it's like, I'm not super attached to this random gamer that talks through the story rather than me reading it. I could literally just go read it, from somewhere else, because that's where he's getting it. Like, he's not getting the scoop, normally. It's usually, like, he's reading it off IGN, and he's, like, reading it off IGN GameSpot, and, like, somebody else, Game Informer, and then he's, like, kind of compiling the story, and then putting his own spin on it, so you get that. But, like, I'm not attached to that brand, really. But there is a lot of work that goes into that, but there's a lot of guys on YouTube, a lot of creators that just talk to the camera, or they're not even talking to the camera, sometimes it's just B-roll of some random game. So it'd be, uh, maybe that's a new innovation yeah, we know. need is like some sort of monetization that it's probably going to be, probably going to be, uh, ISPs selling us websites mm-hmm. and then they'll like yeah, come and join Rogers. We're that. the only one that, that has facebook.com, like something like that's that. That's the opposite of the free internet. Like, um, there, there has to be a way to subsidize the free internet without doing really dumb ads. And one of the re- one of the ways, like you said, is good ads, and the other way is something that we don't know about yet. I'm hoping. But I think I think with that being said, let's move on, and I'll I'll kind of keep the C- the rest of the CS stuff short. But I do I do think we we want to talk about the especially the AI. Oh assistance. yeah. Oh yeah, so man. Th- yeah. So let's uh, let, let's let's go through those. So the the main two that I saw were actually I think both Samsung. Oh. Right. Like. Yeah, they're both Samsung. There was a, there was a lot of other ones that are like really dumb robot assistants, like or th- there was there are a few that are useful and are currently being used. So one of the robots, and I don't remember its name, I should have really looked this up, but one of the robots was a robot that can do check-ins at um, hotels, oh. take orders at like small restaurants and stuff like that. Like they're just very they're utilitarian, but they're friendly and like they have a hum- humanoid kind of look and stuff. So you actually go and speak to the thing with you know. It doesn't look like a human, but it looks like a robot, but it it is something better than a screen. It's essentially going from the screen mentality to the robot mentality. So, and there's arguments to be made that maybe that's more friendly and user, you know, instead of tapping on a bunch of buttons, you're actually talking to something. But the other thing that's being said is that it's less efficient, most likely. Like tapping three buttons rather than saying 15 commands is less efficient. So... It, it it is kind of confusing, but the things that we are going to probably talk about is the Samsung assistants, which is one is Bali, oh yeah, which Matt has a lot of oh, opinions yeah. on, and Neon, which is something that Samsung hyped crazily before CES started, and it turned out to be something that's really I don't know what Neon in my is. opinion. So Neon is the the human AI that they were talking about. I don't know if oh, you saw any. Damn it. Yes, so they were they were hyping up that they were bringing a human AI to CES before CES started. And what it turned out to be is essentially just recordings of a human. And then when you – what they did was they did a lot of recordings. And then with all that data, they can now deepfake uh, a human 
talking and human emotions on a screen. Deep fake. So when you talk to an AI and you ask it a question, for instance, like, oh, what's the weather like right now? It will respond to you in a human form. So it's a human face and that's been recorded. But it'll say unique stuff that obviously hasn't been recorded. And the expressions on its face and its... It's verbalization, like it's its movement of the mouth will be completely AI generated, like deep fake generated. Um, Is it actually using deep fake? Like, yes, it's actually using deep fake. Oh. Yeah. It's actually using the technology that deep fake is to be able to look like it's the human actually talking and saying the correct words. That's all it was. Uh Yeah, get ready for the uh get ready for robotics to catch up. Maybe. And yeah. Then- and we put that because the brain is but, the hardest thing to not, make, right? But the brain, but yeah, exactly. It wasn't really talking about the brain. It was more talking about just the the aspect of humanizing the responses. That's what I understood from it. I didn't see anything about the brain because we all know Bixby is fantastic and the best AI assistant out there. Not, it's not. It's terrible. So we, if Bixby is powering this thing, then it's useless already. Like it's done. They didn't say that it's powering it, but like that's the technology. That's where their AI technology is right now. So unless it, you know, drastically improves in the next five, ten years, then it's just going to be, you know, Google Assistant answering questions in a human form. Well, Siri as well. Sure. I don't know. I, I th- That was Neon, but Matt, go ahead with Bali. What's Bali? So Bali, oh yeah, this is fantastic. So Bali is like a Star Wars droid, like little ball that literally rolls around your house. And it like has a little camera on there and it can see... It, it, like, obviously, with the camera, it can, like, see what you're doing and knows what you're doing. And it has – it can control things remotely. So, like, it it knows, like, when you wake up. It knows to engage other smart things. So, if it's a certain point of day and the sun's in the way, it can close the blinds. Uh, I've read a thing that said that if, like, your family is, you know, doing stuff, you don't need to worry about running out and getting your camera. Because Bali will detect, like, a memorable moment and snap a pic. Um Stuff like that. Uh, what was really cool was they have this. I mean, some people hate this. I like it as an idea, but it's gonna be too expensive. Is they have this like rotating TV where it goes like into portrait and then it like turns into landscape. And so like it'll. Uh, one of the things that they said it could do is like it'll detect like the woman in the in the trailer or whatever it is was doing like a workout and it can actually detect like your form and like try to correct your form and such. Uh, it can do that with like in conjunction with Samsung Health. Stuff like that is really cool. Uh, it detected that a dog was home alone, and that the owner had left, and so it, like, turned on a dog video. And then when the dog was, like, bored of that, it, like, did something else I can't remember. But then the dog spilled something, so then it summoned a vacuum to come and clean the whatever. So, what Bali is, and I and at first I was thinking, like, wow, oh, that's, like, that's a gimmick. What Bali is, is it's replacing the human input for smart devices, if that sounds, if that's... If that makes sense. So right now, generally speaking, if you come into your house and you have smart lights or smart lamps or whatever they are, you have to say something or click something. Now, in reality, let's say it's late at night and it's dark. You would actually just want those lights to come on. So we have that currently in, in again, in an accessible form via uh, motion lights or via a little bit more of a custom system, but still accessible price-wise, is like a motion detector. Where you come in, it detects motion, it turns the lights on. But what Bali sort of represents, and I'm going to kind of extrapolate on its features here because some of it's ambiguous, 
one of the things that I'm really interested in is the fact that it's intelligently doing things. So if it hears the door open and it knows you're coming home and it sees with its camera that it's dark and it knows where I am because it heard the door open, it's going to turn on the light that's closest to the door so I can see. It's going to adjust the blinds. It's going to do all this stuff without me having to click it, without me having to ask for it. It's just going to do it. If it knows that I'm a huge fan of, I don't know, what's a show now? Colonel Mines, I don't know. Colonel Mines. And I sit down at whatever time that's on. Let's say it's on at 8. I don't know when it's on. You, It's on 8 on a Thursday. That's not when it's on, everybody. Don't be tuning in to watch that. But let's just say Colonel Mines is on, at, on Thursday at 8. And I sit down around 8. It turns my screen from portrait, like, ambient mode, where I had, like, a clock and maybe some other info. Turns its screen and then, like, plays Colonel Mines for me. Now, some people are going to say, that's just laziness and all this stuff. Yeah, well, so was upgrading from a horse and buggy to a car. So let's, you know, let's calm down here. Um, No one's going to call you lazy for not using a carrier pigeon by using a telephone. I mean, like, you know what I mean? Like, let's just be serious here. Uh, Humans slowly evolve out of doing things. The more time I'm I'm spent, I spend not turning on and off a light, the, the more time I can spend doing something else. If I'm like some sort of person that requires long form hours, whether I'm developing a site or whether I'm an artist and I'm sculpting something, those 10 minutes a day were instead of me like logistically messing around with my coffee machine and doing all this other crap or even like remembering, like, like keeping that mental space open. So like I have a smart coffee machine, let's just hypothetically say I have to remember to ask for the coffee. You know, Bali just does it like, oh, like, you know, it's 11. He usually has coffee. Let's turn to the coffee machine or whatever. Right. Again, I'm being ambiguous with these features. Now, one of the things that they did actually say it could do is it could detect you doing something. So it would watch you doing something. And if it's on your to-do list, it would check it off. That's a huge thing too. Now, I have heard a complaint about that. Somebody told me that one of the things that's like the point of having a to-do list is checking things off. So it sucks like not being checking it off yourself. But like, who knows? Maybe it'll send a notification to you being like, hey, good job. Hooray. You know, you put out the garbage or something. But the whole the whole point of Bali is Bali does not talk. It just dings and goes like bloop, like it's like a droid, like a legitimate droid. Bali does not talk. It's not really a voice assistant, that's for sure. I, I think you can ask it to do things like follow you and come into your hands. So you can pick it up. But one like like what I really what I really like about it and what I actually want it for is is that that component where it replaces stuff. Like if it sees there's a mess on the ground. Like, it's low, it's low to the ground. It's this little ball thing that rolls around. So if it sees that there's, like, a mess underneath a certain, or in a corner or something that I didn't see, it's just going to summon my vacuum. And, and I know, again, this is going to be this thing where people are going to be like, that's just lazy. Is it just lazy? Like, how much do you really enjoy vacuuming? Like, why aren't we still using a washboard? Really? <laughs> like, it's like, you know what I mean? Like, why aren't we still using a washboard? Go back and use a washboard. Go down to the river. Get your water. Like, what are you doing, bud? You lazy? You don't don't boil your water every time you go to the river? Like, come on, man. You know what I mean? Like, let's, let's, let's calm it down. Like, some stuff could be considered lazy. If I'm not, like, walking someplace and it's one of those, like, airport things that just take me everywhere all the time, maybe that, man, maybe I'm lazy. But those things exist in airports because you may be there for hours and you had a heavy bag. That makes sense. So, like, it, it, it's all based on use case. And, like, I want, my entire home to be automated. I don't want to do anything. And then that sounds ridiculous, but I, when's the last time you really anticipated and really looked forward to turning on a light? 
Or when's the last time you really anticipated turning on the dryer? Like, come on. <laughs> like, like, let's, you know, I've never been like, ooh, the sun's coming down and it's going to glare into the window. I, I, get, to, I get to shut the blinds. <laughs> like, come on, man. Like, you know? So, mm-hmm. so okay. That's Bali. And honestly, it does sound awesome and it's cute and it's a droid. I don't think there's anything I don't I have no argument against the laziness component of it. I think it is efficient. I think it is increasing efficiency. I think that's great and I and I love the design of it and I love how they showed it off at, at CES and all that. I'm 100% sure it's not going to work at all. That's my biggest problem. It's a Samsung device, so it's assuming like let's say you have all Samsung appliances, so all brand new Samsung, not old Samsung appliances. It has to be brand new, most likely, to work perfectly, to work well. Let's say you have all brand new Samsung appliances. Best case scenario, I don't think it's going to work anything even closely remotely to what you're imagining. I think a, it's not going to do the things consistently. B, it's going to do the wrong things all the time. C, the things that it does do is going to be inefficient and not correct way. And it'll force you to adapt to its routine rather than you, than it adapting to your routine. Like, I don't, I think that we're at least 10 years away from this being a useful thing in a human's life. That's my issue with it. Everything else that they showed off, I think it's a great product. And I think it's, I think it's something that will happen in the future and i want it to happen like i i'm with you like i if, if there's a mess on the ground i don't want to go and grab my vacuum i'd rather my auto vacuum my roomba go in and clean up that mess 100 percent without me even knowing about it or just send a notification that it did it with some video because it can do that too like it can it's supposed to be able to record whatever it's doing and I, w- w- or when your dog's home alone i think that's a great use case like i don't have a dog but if I was leaving my dog home alone, it can turn on the camera and it can kind of follow your dog to to make sure that it's doing okay. So there's a lot of really, really cool stuff that they showed off. But Samsung, in my eyes, has not doesn't have the AI expertise to be able to pull this off. And not only Samsung, I don't think even if this is a Google thing, it would work at all. Or like even a little, like it might do certain things sometimes <laughs> is my thought process. I don't think it's going to be consistent I don't think the technology is there yet. I don't think that the functionality that they're showing off is even close to being ready. And when they release it, I guarantee you they'll be like, stuff's coming. You know, extra functionality is coming. Yeah, that that, that type of – that really sucks. And that stuff's never going to come because it's not going to sell because the first review of it is going to be like, Bali's an idiot. That's my guarantee. And I, I'm, I'd be willing to bet money on that. And you, have, I, you, you technically can. You can put, you know, money down short their stock or whatever. Yeah. Well, not yet, but or short their stock. Oh, oh yeah. what? You're getting. More, I'm talking about Bali. buying Bali. You're talking about short well, stock. No, like Jesus. I'm just saying, like if Bali was a big enough thing for Samsung, you could short their stock, and if they if their stock goes down, you get money from that. But like, it's one of those. Like you could put your money down. I'm probably not going to. But I, what I'm saying is, I don't. I'm almost positive. It is going to be a letdown in its first form, and it's probably going to be let, a letdown until maybe if they stick with it, it's fifth or sixth form. Well, the thing the thing is, is like I don't really know how all this technology works together. I know that there's Samsung Smart Things, which is like your your kind of like your Google Home on the Samsung side, and I do know that. Well, I don't know, but I would assume that Bali would you know t- like tap into Smart Things and work that way. I would also assume it taps into the Bixby UI or the Bixby AI to an extent as well. 
uh, to like sort of get some of its intelligence. Um, so that's a question. I don't really know. Um, you're right in terms of it probably might, it might be an idiot or like, they're going to like, what I think you're right in terms of like, I hate when a product comes out and they're like, we need, like when Bixby came out, it was like Bixby labs, like all these app integrations or Bixby labs are all beta. And it's like, why doesn't it still me with any confidence? Like, what kind of crap is this? Like, I don't want, like, I don't want to, I get it having a beta, but I don't have, I don't like having a beta on a brand new product already. Like, come on, man. Like, like have a Bixby overall beta. That makes sense. But don't have Bixby at a beta and then have half of Bixby's features behind a beta wall. Like what? And like Bixby does some cool stuff now. She call Ubers and crap. Like I saw the new trailer and can call Ubers and stuff like that. But like, but like, that's it. Like, I can't think of another use case for Bixby. Like I need to see like I think what I think what these companies need to understand is that we're not in the sphere the consumer isn't in the sphere of whatever whatever their capabilities are but I like I like smart home tech but I'm not constantly thinking about what what my smart home can do for me not all the time like I think about it a fair bit just cuz I like this stuff but I don't I don't think about like I can't think of it like they do I can't think of it in terms of you know, what compatibility do we need? You know, do we need a sign in? Like, I don't, I don't know those intricacies and they do. And what they need to do is they need to make features within their limitations that are very good and marketable and they need to show us how it works. So, so the problem is, and this will be, I have to take off soon, but I just want a final statement here. The problem is, is it's not the technical department that's creating these products and being like, here's what we can do. It's instead the Steve Jobs way of a random dude that doesn't know anything about technical stuff is like, this is what I want, do it. And so the technical department can't go in there and be like, listen, we can't do A, B, and C, and D. Like, instead, what they're going to do is they're going to make that A, B, C, and D do it the best they possibly can because they're engineers and that's what they do. But it's not it's not the same as a technical person going out there and making a demo because that you know that demo wasn't real. Like what what they were showing, that was a remote controlled car, essentially doing random things in scripted scripted environment. Like nothing, nothing of that demo was real. Nothing of that. It can probably only do one or two things currently in its current state. And they're adding in all the things. And they probably sat down in a meeting with a bunch of executives and they're like, what can we show off? What do you think you can do? And the technical department is like, well, we can't do anything. But here's what we can probably get working like 50% of the time yeah. or 20% of the time. And they're like, okay, well, that's what we're going to put in the demo. So that's the kind of thing that happens. So it's the problem is there's a massive disconnect between the the thinker, like the you know the the Steve Jobs and the thinkers of the world, and the technical departments, especially in a company like Samsung. And it happens all the time with Bigsby. Guaranteed, the same thing happened. We need the te- the the executives are like we need something to compete with Google, you know AI or uh, hey okay Google whatever the the support for Google, Google and Google uh, Assistant? yeah yeah for Google Assistant and. The technical department's like, well, that's going to take, you know, a lot of years and a lot of money. Uh, we can release like something very beta for you, but we don't recommend it. And the executive was like, well, we have to release it. And that's it. That was the, that was kind of like the, that, that's the conversation that those two teams have. It's not the technical department can't go up there and be like, well, listen, we can't do it. Um, yeah, you're, you're not wrong. It's probably the creative department, like the creative department slash the executives department. You know, however the departments work in Samsung, they're all getting together and they're making these concepts. Where it's like, oh, we have like, we have like devices that are remote controlled. So let's take the remote and do like 80 things with it. And it's like, hang on a minute. <laughs> we have an IR remote, an infrared remote for our TVs. 
you know, let's calm down. There's limitations to IR. We have to have a brain that actually processes this stuff. Like, we're not having a Samsung employee per Bali controlling Bali around. We need to have an AI that knows how to move Bali around, that knows how to, you know, turn Bixby on and off on your phone. We need to have all this crap. And then there's also that app layer, so you're interfacing, you're interfacing with Android. Like, you're right on that. Um, yeah. Now, I know you have to take off, but... Um, yep. Uh, I can continue with... I'm, I'm just going to probably just chat like very briefly uh regarding i i would say i, I think we're we're at a good spot like i don't i don't think we need to mention everything else you can you can see what was um what was announced i guess yeah you can chat briefly but we're we're at like an hour and a half oh okay an half okay on the episode, I, I, so. I guess i was just used to last week where you like we had to take off a little bit or like earlier there, exactly but, okay yeah. yeah well um i'm gonna i'm gonna take off though so enjoy good luck farewell mike farewell Goodbye. I feel like I'm on like a satellite call with you. It's weird. So we're going to run the own conclusion here. So uh, thank you for listening and make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing on the platform of your choice. You can follow us on the socials via at HTML all the things that's on Facebook and Instagram. You can also follow us on Twitter. That's at HTML everything. We're on medium and we're on GitHub. And uh, remember uh, we're also on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash HTML all the things. Check out the tiers and give that a go. And many thanks to our $3 tier patrons. That's Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript. Find him at rabbitworks javascript dot or excuse me youtube.com slash rabbitworks javascript mess that one up garrick from local path computing and web design you can find him at localpathcomputing.com craig aka cosworth ryan gatchel from blue black digital find him at blueblackdigital.com chris from self-made web designer find him at selfmadewebdesigner.com tim from the web hacker find him at thewebhacker.com and a new edition dl ford you can find him at dl4.io. Again, all the links and all these names will be in our show notes. You can come check that out at htmlallthethings.com. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you're listening to this on. And we are signing off. Yeah.